I'm Judy, nice to meet you. Um, if I haven't met you already, I'm one of the leaders uh, here at Riverside. And uh, I think it's very appropriate that in this time of looking at serving and uh, looking uh, together at how we serve, how we bring glory to God through serving, um, that actually it is Remembrance Sunday. Because the people that we remember, the people that we give thanks for, whether we knew them or not, are the people who, as Nikki said earlier, gave their lives for the freedom that we now have. Some of them knowingly, some of them unknowingly, but all went to battle, if you like, uh, because they believed in a cause and they believed that they were getting a better future for their sons and daughters. And uh, some of us are those people uh, represented here. And in this passage that Anne read uh, from two Samuel 7, there is a real sense of gratitude from David. He is so grateful to God that he just has this moment at the beginning of the passage where he says, Lord, I'm so grateful to you and I live in this cedar panelled house and you just seem to live everywhere. So I want to build a palace, a temple that you can dwell in because I want to say thank you. Thank you that you've been with me in battle. Thank you that you've never left me. Thank you that you're on my side. And the prophet Nathan says, yeah, go ahead. Uh, God will be with you. And then as we heard in the night, a revelation comes where God speaks really directly uh, to David saying, actually, that's not what I want you to do. Now imagine the anticlimax, the disappointment almost when he makes this bold claim. He's already said it in one of the Psalms that, uh, you know, he'll bring the ark back and that he will honor God by actually building this temple. And he's already made that promise. And then to hear from God, that's not the dream. The dream is to build my people. The dream is to shepherd, but not the sheep, but the people. The dream is for you to be a servant leader. And actually out of that comes the lineage of David, which leads to Jesus. I was really moved when we were, we were singing Cornerstone and thinking about how Jesus was called the Cornerstone. If you like, he became the temple, the cornerstone on which the temple was finally built. So God is saying to, to David, stay faithful. Stay faithful in your leadership through all the thick and thin. I will not leave you. I will walk with you and you will see the temple built, but not in the way that you think it. And interestingly, a little spoiler alert, it's his son, Solomon, who goes on to actually build the temple. And uh, as we look at serving, there are things, the kind of glorious moments, the upstage, onstage moments that happen, that are celebrated and applauded. And there are many, many, many more just here in this body of servant acts going on all the time in the quiet background, in the way that we talked about Alistair and Martin would be another one of those. And uh, as we look at this passage, David is having to really realign himself to what God's will for him really is. And that is to be a servant. In fact, the word servant is used so many times in this passage because God wants David to understand that in a way that shepherd boy, that young shepherd boy that he took out of the fields is still the shepherd of the, the sheep, the one that will shepherd the flock. And he says there will be a lineage, a generation after generation that will know the truth because of him. And I just wanted to encourage us today, if we're finding it weary sometimes in serving, uh, if perhaps we think this is not the dream I 
dreamed that God has a way of redeeming even the most disappointing things that can happen in our lives. And sometimes there's a pattern in scripture of reveal, reverse, restore. And uh, something brilliant is revealed. David knows that he's going to be this great leader. God speaks to him and he says, you will be a great leader. But how that greatness comes across is in a very different way from what he expects. And then he's in reverse and he's, he's actually you know, bit bewildered that he will not be the one that builds the temple, but he submits to the Lord's leading. And from his reign, we have the birth of Jesus. And uh, there, there is something, I think, in serving where gratitude is a huge part of it that, that David shows us here. He's got a grateful heart. And right at the beginning of this passage and then again at the end of the passage is this sort of song of praise saying, God, I am so grateful that you've been with me. How can I serve you? Now, he gets the context for that wrong in terms of the serving doesn't happen in the way that he thinks it will be. But actually, his heart is good. And David is described as, as a man after God's own heart. And I think part of that, some of us are looking at emotionally healthy spirituality on Sunday evenings at the moment. And what I love about David is he's fully alive in all of his emotions. You know, when he's angry, he's angry. When he's upset, he's upset. When he's grateful, he's passionately grateful. But he's actually, he doesn't lose that closeness with God, even when he's caught in sin. And uh, we know as uh, later chapters come along that actually he's unfaithful, that he, he commits a adultery and things start to go wrong and the prophet Nathan has to speak again and really bring him back into line but his heart is for God and his heart is for good and uh, there's huge encouragement in that for us. I also think and Caroline mentioned it briefly there that there are missional opportunities in other words opportunities that come our way when we are serving and there's a lovely story um, that uh, I heard years ago from Spring Harvest when Louis Palau uh, came to town. Some of you will know he's a, a, a global evangelist or has been for many years. And uh, he tells a story about uh, a time when uh, he was at Spring Harvest. And uh, there was a, a steward there. Some of you will have done that job at Spring Harvest with the tabards on. And uh, he wasn't yet a Christian. His wife was. He'd come along to be with the family. But he thought, well, I'll volunteer with the stewards. And so he was there to put the chairs out, basically. And he turned up for his shift and they were having a big speaker there that evening. He could see that. The tent was uh, empty and loads of piles of chairs were there. And some of you know that feeling. And he thought, well, where's the team? And he realized it was him. He thought, there is nobody else. And I know we felt that sometimes recently. And he thought, well, it's just me. So he starts faithfully putting these chairs out one by one by one. And then finally, another guy comes in. And uh, he's not down to be a steward, but he sees him on his own. So he helps him. And they build up a rapport and a bit of a joke. And they put the chairs out together. And then just at the end, he says, well, are you coming to this tonight? Now you've put all the chairs out because I'm going. And he says, oh, OK, then I'll, I'll go along to it. So he's invited to go along to it uh, by this uh, this fellow chair stacker. And you can probably start to guess what happens next in that the guy goes in at the back and there, standing at the front, uh, giving the message and actually giving an altar call is the evangelist Louis Palau. And uh, he recognises him, this guy. And uh, when Louis Palau does an altar call, who wants to follow this Jesus, he comes forward and, uh, and gives his life and uh, is very, very tearful. And Louis Palau actually goes over and sees him and speaks to him. 
And uh, he, he said, I can't believe it's you. I can't believe you're the one that was doing the chairs with me. And Louis Palace said, he said to him, it's all about the person who puts out the chairs. And uh, when people watch us, they believe our message. If they trust the messenger, then actually our message starts to make sense. And uh, whether it's in quiet moments, as Caroline said, of offering a drink to someone, offering a shoulder to someone, uh, that actually opens the doors uh, for the kingdom. And what David did, if you like, he opened up his heart to lead like a servant. Uh, I remember Andy and I years ago going to a, a leadership training course that was a secular course being run on Hagley Road in a big swanky hotel and, uh, you know, arrived and it was all very posh and uh, they said uh, come in for this radical new teaching filled the place up and we sat there thinking oh what's it going to be and uh, up on the screen they said and this is the radical news and it was servant leadership that's the way that they wanted to take leadership and they thought it was new they thought this is brand new information we're going to lead differently because the powerhouse thing isn't working and the kind of pared down stuff isn't working so we think you know leave from behind leave lead in shepherding and gathering people and we just sat there thinking well Jesus modeled and, and said that so many years ago uh, and as we looked in the game changer series uh, how much of Jesus's teaching has shaped uh, what we now know as leadership but it was his model of leadership as well. Uh, Jesus, when he was leading, led with a band of followers, always teaching them so that they could go on. And I think this is what God's saying uh, to David here. He's saying, invest in those that you have leadership over for the many. And whether you're a life group leader here today, whether you're someone who's got a triplet, a small group, a community group, you just get a bunch of people together, whether you're serving on teams, whatever that might be, there will be a legacy that the next generation and the next have from your serving. You may say, well, how can that be? You know, what is difference does it make if I make coffee? But actually, there are people always watching not only the things we do, but how we do them and doing them with a grateful heart, as David does here. I don't know about you, but I think in recent times for me, uh, as Caroline said, I've learned a lot about serving from watching people caring for my dad. Uh, I've watched uh, the people in the home and how they love him. He had a terrible time recently because he started choking and he can't eat his favourite food, which is toast and marmalade. And the home broke the news to him gently that he could never have toast and marmalade for breakfast again. He was very upset about this. You know, it was a big blow to him. And uh, so when I went to visit him recently, um, they called me into the kitchen. They said, guess what we've made? And they'd made uh, a marmalade sponge so that he could partake in marmalade and uh, they were so excited about it and it was the look on their faces that, that really impacted me that they'd just done something incredibly thoughtful bearing in mind they've got all those residents there but they'd just done it for the one and I think when we look at serving for the one the thoughtful kind things that all of you do and I know I'm privileged to know about many of them are building the kingdom for the future and actually are a legacy for those who come after us 
Uh, I love watching a program which is a little bit sad uh, called Saving Lives at Sea. I don't know if anyone's seen it. I mean, it's not sort of top on the uh, uh, most watched list or Netflix. Yes. Oh, good. I've got some friends here in this service. Saving Lives at Sea. And uh, there was uh, a couple of weeks ago, one on the Irish Sea. And uh, basically, it's about the work of the lifeboat crews. And uh, there was a, a, a ship in absolute jeopardy. They were going to die uh, on this really, really high storm at sea. And uh, they were fearful for their lives. They thought that was it. And then they looked on the horizon and right in the distance, and you see this in the film, comes this orange blob that starts to get bigger and bigger. And you realise is actually the RNI, that it is a lifeboat coming to rescue them. And it gets nearer and their hope starts to rise as he gets nearer and nearer to them. And finally, they stop and draw alongside in all of these wild seas, the lifeboat and a young lad, really young lad, probably some of the age of some of the soldiers that were going off in the Great War, jumps from this boat onto the boat in peril and says, I'm here. You know, I'm here to rescue you, if you like. And everything changes on the boat from then on. Everything changes. He brings about calm. He tells them they're going to make it. He actually, you know, says he'll, he'll get them towed in and he brings about calm. But also what is really poignant, I think, in that is the gratitude of the people when he steps onto the boat. In fact, they say, can we pay you for this? We want to pay you for this. And he says, no, we're volunteers. We're just a bunch of volunteers. That's all we are. And I found myself very moved by that. One of them happened on New Year's Day. And they said, we weren't expecting a call out. And out they went. Uh, but there's something of the church in that, that we're a bunch of volunteers and we have been rescued. Those people were so grateful that they were saying, can we give you money? I think in the end they bought them pints and took them to the pub. But they wanted to thank their rescuer. And I don't know about you, but I, when I think of Jesus' rescue for my life, when I think of what it was like before him, and my conversion was quite dramatic, when I think of what my life was and how someone drew alongside my ship, if you like, when it was in peril and said, actually, there is a rescuer, his name is Jesus, and showed me his love, his mercy and his rescue, then when I remind myself, and sometimes I do need to remind myself of that, it makes me want to serve him. And I think that's what David is saying here, that actually he's just saying, you've been with me, you've conquered my enemies, you've brought me here, I want to build something for you. And we may build physical things. We may build RPA as, as Caroline and Sarah and others have gone on to do in the future. An amazing legacy that actually, oh, <laughs> and a little serenade to <laughs> celebrate it. But um, amazing legacy and, and, and a triumph for many years ahead from their investment. It may be those things, but it may be much quieter things, as Caroline said, from just caring, from a conversation with a carer, from somebody at school that we can actually serve and share the good news with. Um, there's something um, that struck me years ago, a little story, and uh, I'll come to a close with this, about the Messiah being among us. And uh, it's a story, I don't know whether it's a true story or a, an apocryphal made up one, but it certainly makes a beautiful point. And uh, it's about the fact that actually God Emmanuel, he lives with us. Jesus lives amongst us. And Jesus said, whenever we do anything for the least of these brothers of mine, we do it for him, whether we are visiting 
visiting someone in prison, whether we're talking to a stranger. And there's this story, and it's a story of a, an abbot of a monastery who's extremely distressed by his monks because they're not behaving themselves. They've fallen out, they're jealous, they're backbiting, they're unforgiving. And people used to travel to this monastery, and the abbot says, nobody comes anymore. And he says, I can see why. We are not a united group of people. And he's very distressed, and he goes to his friend, and his friend is uh, a wise old Jewish rabbi. And having heard the abbot's tale, he says, can I offer you some advice? And he says, he's received a vision, an important vision, and it's this, that the Messiah lives among the rank of the monks. He's one of you. And he says, tell them, the abbot is absolutely flabbergasted. He said, what, one of his own? One of his own is the Messiah. He says, how can it be? Who is it? He knows it's not him. So he races back to the monastery and shares this exciting news with his fellow monks. And the monks grow silent as they look into each other's faces. Which one of them is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? And from that day on, the mood in the monastery changes. Joseph and Ivan start talking again, neither wanting to be guilty of slighting the Messiah. Pierre and Nabu left behind their frosty anger and sought out each other's forgiveness. The monks begin serving each other daily, looking out for opportunities to assist, seeking healing and forgiveness. As one traveller then another found their way to the monastery, word soon spread about the remarkable change of the spirit of the place. People once again took a journey to the monastery and found themselves refreshed, renewed and transformed. All because these monks knew the Messiah was among them. And um, the Messiah is amongst us in one sense. Jesus came to earth and lives amongst us. He lived amongst us physically, but now by his spirit, by his Holy Spirit, he lives within us. And this is a story of us being the temple, that David wanted to build a physical uh, temple, but actually we now are the gathered temple of Jesus Christ and the distributed temple of Jesus. And as we go out this week, as we pray for one another, as we minister and share with one another, we are that glorious temple, that lineage of David. And uh, I think there's something moving as we approach Christmas and as we have Remembrance Day to actually be able to say, this is the servant king that we honour. And to try, if there's someone at the moment that you're finding it difficult to care for, difficult to serve, difficult to parent maybe, to try and just put yourself seeing the face of Jesus in them. <laughs> some rumblings there um, to see the face of Jesus you can see the face of Jesus in those two can't you um, but actually when it's tricky to remind ourselves that Jesus said when you did it for one of these you did it for me um, I wonder if we can just be still for a moment I'm just going to read some words from Henri Nouon 